0: This week on Dig Me
1: Out With
0: your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minich.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode Thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, speaking of that union, we have a union member joining us. You might remember him. Maybe. Previous episodes. Uh Uh-huh. Such as Angel Dust by Faith No More. Mm, I remember that one. Tokyo Anal Dynamite by the (laughs) Garo... (laughs) ggg <laughs> i will never me, forget just that one said it and i already <laughs> ebb head by knights or ebb ocean born by nightwish and the process by skinny Puppy. pun skinny puppy fun fact uh, i drove to buffalo with my daughter recently and i put on ocean born by nightwish in the car
0: because <laughs> i was
1: like I was like, I couldn't figure out what to listen to. I had just yeah. listened to like a whole bunch of records that I wanted to listen to. And I was like, I'm going to go through the old dig me out albums and see what I can find. And I was like, yeah, I haven't listened to that. She thought it was crazy. <laughs> she was like, what is this? I'm like, well, um, this is uh symphonic European metal, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> and uh, cause she, we listen to classical music in the car. Um, on occasion and then she is you know into music so she's heard a lot of stuff and she's heard me play like hard rock and heavy metal in the house never heard that before it was a new experience for her a so little too far it went a little too far for her 10 year old brain couldn't quite process it uh which is okay uh i put on her mix which includes peaches by the president of the united states and I'm um <laughs> yeah like stuff like that Gotcha. Not, not the modern peaches, the, the mm-hmm. original peaches that we all know and love from the 90s. But without further ado, welcome back to the show, Mr. Josh Ballard. Hi, Josh. How you doing?
2: Hello, doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm glad to be hanging out with you all again. And uh, yeah, I think this one is, I think it'll be really interesting. And I think it'll be uh, something more comfortably a little more comfortably in the wheelhouse of you guys compared to a couple of my other picks, but there's still uh, plenty of uh, uh, idiosyncrasies to talk about here for sure.
1: Absolutely. And this was one that um, when it got posted in the Patreon, folks were like, oh, I was going to suggest that. So I know that this is one that's been out there amongst the Patreon community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Without further ado, would you please share your pick for this year?
2: My pick for this year is um, the band T-Ride with their one and only officially released album, also called T-Ride.
1: Came out in 1992 on Hollywood Records. It is the lone record, as you mentioned, from this California band. Um, Jay, had you heard of the band?
0: No. Uh, I. I mean, I was only familiar from uh, from the community. It had been recommended back in, I think, 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point it made it to a poll and I believe it's come up on discord here and there. So, yep. But yeah, even though, you know, it's in a genre that in 92, I still would have, you know, been following someone. I'm kind of surprised I hadn't heard of them. Maybe because they were from San Francisco or I don't know.
1: Perhaps. Although San Francisco is the home of Metallica, right? So they, produced, sure. and, and originally, the Melvins, I think, were, or not, not originally, but at some point, the Melvins were based out of San Francisco. I don't know if they still are or not. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit about this band, because I don't know anything about them either.
2: History of the band.
1: The members were Dan Arlisle on lead vocals and bass.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eric Valentine, the who's now a famous producer, he produced bands like third eye blind and Queens of the stone age. Uh, he's on drums and backing vocals, Jeff Tyson on guitar and backing vocals. And he was a student of Joe Satriani.
2: Yep. Who the band actually, uh, opened for, um, on tour.
1: And then lastly, um, Steve. Umet was, uh, yep played guitar but he's not credited it says uncredited on uh, the Wikipedia page and as I mentioned this came out in in 92 so I I found this fun because this is very 90s so they were included on some soundtracks right? Yep Uh, the three the the three uh, things that were pointed out the three soundtracks or or shows also um, they were on the Encino Man soundtrack the Captain Ron soundtrack now that's super nuts. and then and then Baywatch. You can't get more 90s in those three. I mean maybe if like Tommy <laughs> Boy was on there, uh you'd you you know, you maybe need a Chris Farley David Spade vehicle uh to include be included, but that's pretty. You got your Polly Shore and your Baywatch. That's about as 90s How uh, I did Captain
0: Ron not come up in our discussion of uh soundtracks of the 90s.
1: I don't know. I mean it, it seems like it should have.
0: <laughs> I want to go look that one up now and see what else is on there.
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, you know I mean, it's it's a classic With Kurt Russell and Martin Short and Yeah It's just uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I've ever actually watched Captain Ron all the way through Have you? Is that oh, a yeah, movie?
0: It, it's one of Courtney's favorites so I've seen oh, it okay. several times
1: I, th- I thought I remembered that, but I, I was like That can't be possible, but if, yeah, it is um, It's a pretty
0: fun uh, rewatch too
1: I feel Let's like it might it. do better now um, that I'm less critical about stuff like that. Uh, I mentioned the comments of, over at Patreon. We did get some comments. We also had a poll and we'll share the results of that poll at the end of the show. But here are some comments. Scott said, great album. I wanted to suggest myself. And then he wrote insert plug for how to do that. Uh, the way you do that folks is you go to digmeoutpodcast.com. You go to our suggest an album page and you drop your suggestion in there. Album title, artist title, give us a little write-up on why you're suggesting it, and then it ends up in a poll. Um, He said, my friend and I still laugh at the goofy times we had with them when they were the only ones to show up to an in-store they had in Columbia Heights, Minnesota.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This will not be the first time someone mentioning a small crowd when it comes to this band, because Chip Midnight said... I interviewed Dan Arlyle, lead singer bassist of T-Ride, and saw them live at the Newport Music Hall. Pretty sure the 1,500-seat venue had 50 people there that night. Really interesting sound, saw them at Headbangers Ball, but wouldn't call them a metal band. Not really sure I've ever heard anything quite like these guys. Yeah, if you have 50 people in the Newport, Jay can attest to this, Yeah, it is pretty daunting to look out at that empty sea of space. As a big venue to to not have many people in. Uh, and lastly, Richard Waterman said, "I'm sure all the nerdlingers in this company in this community know Eric Valentine, who went on to be one of the biggest, most successful producers, engineers, and mixers of the late '90s and 2000s. He worked on mega-selling albums like the debut Third Eye Blind album, Smash Mouth, Death Ray, Lost Profits, Good Charlotte, Maroon Five, and others. So we know where he ended up." Question is where are we gonna end up on on this album? Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about this record because it is a wild ride. From T-Ride, Jay, tell me one thing you liked about the self-titled album by T-Ride.
0: This is a this is a groovy record. Like it, it's really interesting drumming. You know, I don't know how much of it is performance versus uh, drum machines. It's you know, it's very um, precise. And there's a relationship here between the drums and the bass, and then these guitar riffs that drop in and out. Very intricate, a lot of movement, um, very tight and punchy. It's it's a little bit infectious. Now, it does sound it's very pop to me. You know, it doesn't sound. Yes, you get some guitar sweeps in here, and you get some riffs, or not even riffs, I would just say like power chords, and there's some cool like intricate guitar parts underneath, but they're still very rhythmic, Um, but it mostly sounds to me like a pop record. You know, there's parts of this where you take the vocal out, and it could be like, I don't know, something from Janet Jackson in the late 80s, um, or (laughs) Paul Abdul or something. I mean, it's like that level of pop production going on. The uh, the background vocals are another, I think, really interesting part of this record. You know, they use that Def Leppard style, like hushed, layered yep. effect. But the, the melodies they're singing, um, sometimes they're straightforward. Other times they're not. Like really strange, like minor notes thrown in and little runs, almost to the level of what you would hear on a Queen record. Um, but with a very, you know, imagine Def Leppard style vocals doing Queen style harmonies and melodies, uh, and they end up being, you know, the drums and the and the vocals end up being a big, big part of this record. Um, so it's it's not surprising to hear, you know, who was behind that part of the record and how much success they went on to, because um, it's almost to the point where, you know, that is in the genre you expect or i would expect you know to say the genre is like you know glammy hard rock or pop hard rock i would expect you know to be riff based um and then the singer would be either if in front of the riffs or right around the riffs and it's really not it's more i mean the vocals are important i'll get to those in a second but i think the really the heart of these songs is rhythmically what's going on uh, a lot of swing in the feel they play a lot with like r b style you know beats and rhythms there's some bluesy stuff in here there's quite a bit of genre movement in terms of just the foundation of the songs um you're not they're not you know straight always straightforward hard rock rhythms uh and then vocally i think the, what I like about it again is the rhythmic approach to the vocals. It's almost like uh, instead of the riffs being guitar based, they're more vocal based. So there's, you know, these really rapid fire lines that sync up amazingly well with the drums and the rhythm to just create this overall kind of hook, I guess, or riff that, you know, often becomes memorable. Um, you know, the singer sounds a little bit like at times he, there's a, there's a couple of voices here going on. I'm not sure if it's the same person or not, but, uh, there's a, th- there's a head voice that sounds a lot like Axel Rose at times, you know, it's kind of that raspy, like up in his throat kind of sound, but then there's a deeper voice that comes in and does some spoken parts and some lower tones. Um, and then that's contrasted with, I mentioned those backup vocals, which are, you know, very different from the lead vocal. So there's a lot dynamically going on between the lead singer, the backups, vocals, and rhythmically, uh, everything. And I just like how active it is. You know, it's a very fast-paced, dynamic record. I think it's only, what, 35 minutes? Mm -hmm. And the bass playing is active. You know, if you really listen to what the bass is doing, it's, it's constantly moving. It's not just like playing one note or an open knee or something. You know, it's all kinds of movement going on. When you really tune you know for being a rock record there's times where you really do need to dig in if you want to hear the guitars and like kind of really pay attention because they're often pushed it back a little bit but the guitar parts are also like really interesting and dynamic and just how much movement there is in them and uh how much they're riffing off those drum parts so it's a really dynamic and active record too i don't think there's there's maybe a know more straightforward pop song on here um and then there's a lot there's not really a ballad you know there's a maybe one moment like i mentioned where it gets a little bit more poppy and then there's like an instrumental but other than that it's pretty you know pretty consistent in terms of keeping the tempo up keeping the record moving keeping the changes coming not sitting in anything for too long so it's a really active, engaging listen too. Um, so, yeah, I d- I didn't know what to expect going in this. I kind of knew the genre um, g- generally uh, based on the descriptions that other people had for it, but I was expecting something a little more. I don't know, maybe Guns and Roses like and musically like raw and more you know guitar oriented. So I was really found this you know kind of a fun listen. To not know where we were going and trying to pull this apart and figure out what was going on from a production standpoint, uh, it's pretty—it's pretty unique. So that's some of the stuff I liked. Would you like, Tim?
1: Well, you covered a lot of it. This is a wild record in the best possible way. Um, you know, like Hit Squad—you start that out, and it's—it <laughs> sounds like the beginning of a Janet Jackson song off of Rhythm Nation. done for me lately you know what i mean like i'm just like what is going on and then you have these choral vocals that like are very queen and deaf leopard ask you know you think like Mutt lang was behind the board on this thing for some of the way that they're layering back uh backing vocals um and then you have a song there's an instrumental song called bone down which mm-hmm. sounds like it's an eddie van halen like yeah. riff track just like just jamming
0: uh, it, that it's, legit if you told me that was um something some you know that was just put all pulled out of the 5150 volts that was never released by him like noodling around on his own i totally would have believed you yeah it has that swing and just everything about it has the Van Halen feel and,
1: and what's cuckoo about this is like you get things like backdoor romeo is a good example like there are parts of that that sound like they use like a i'm guessing a synth string for part yep. of that which which sounds like what faith no more would do mm-hmm. uh, when they would use their synths to create these you know dramatic um uh, counter melody parts and then you get like these shredding steve Vai joe satriani style guitar in the background but then these huge vocals and it's just such an interesting combination of sounds that I just never heard anybody really do um, and it was it's you mentioned about there not really being uh, a power ballad there are i mean these songs are so quick the first song is four and a half minutes and then the last song is four minutes and everything else is like barely three minutes yep they cruise through this thing real fast there is no fat to be had even though there are parts like on um on luxury cruiser when that starts it's just this like tom kind of thing that's happening it has no you have no idea where that song is going to go by the time you're done with it they they shift you know very thoughtfully but there's a lot of changing and, and 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 dynamics to these songs that are just completely unexpected and i was shocked that this was only 34 minutes long like you expect a band with a three piece with this much like musical ability to like stretch on a couple songs, maybe, you know, do like a big long outro jam to a song or something like that, but nope. Like every one of these tracks is super tight and it's like you said, like the, from the guitar playing to the bass playing, to the drumming, to the vocal, Every aspect of this you can just focus on one time through and you will hear really interesting things that sound like 50 other bands, but you'd never think to combine them in the way that these things are being combined. I did not expect to hear, like we said, like Janet Jackson rhythm parts over Queen and Def Leppard vocal parts combined with Axl Rose-ish singing and, and just... It's just wild. It's a. I can understand why this was completely wrong for the 1992. Like this is <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Oh my god, out of touch with 1992. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I want to get. Well, first of all, Josh, I didn't get to ask you. Um, how did you discover this? Because obviously, Jay and I were not familiar with it. So how would you discover it first?
2: So actually, this is one I learned about from an online buddy of mine who is you know big into metal and a lot of other more obscure music along those lines and uh he was the one who first told me about told me about this so uh if you're listening to this uh so uh shout out to you huge thanks for turning me on to this uh, wonderful album uh yeah so my online buddy did that kind of show me it and then i just kind of dug into it from there and was learning more of the the lore behind it and there is a lot of lore online that you can find for this one album, like Eric Valentine. He, he actually has his own YouTube channel that he's had going for a few years. And he covered this. He did a whole like two and a half hour video just on zombies from hell.
1: Oh, wow. Huh?
2: So I went through all that in preparation for this.
1: I I kind of wanted, I kind of want an alternate universe for there to be a split seven inch single where this band covers cowboys from hell and Pantera covers zombies from hell on the same (laughs) seven inch, but we're not going to get that. So tell me what you like about this record,
2: Josh. So what I liked is, I mean, you covered a lot of it, but really for me, it's just, again, how wide ranging the influences go. You already mentioned a lot of it, but, um, and a lot of this is stuff. A lot of the specific ones you mentioned were actually confirmed by, uh, valentine himself in interviews like he even mentions you know janet jackson for example or uh he mentioned like the song hit squad he said that that was based on two specific things the song thriller and uh the theme song to the cartoon underdog
1: oh wow <laughs> <laughs> I uh-huh. mean, not you the not.
2: same thing in any way so and there's that and um some of the drum bits so you touched on not being sure about the drums. Um, it was, it was some sort of mixture. Um, I forget all the specifics cause he talks a lot about it. Um, but there were, you know, a mix of drums that he played himself versus drum machine programming and yep. the drum machine programming. He mentioned too. And the, one thing he mentioned in the video was that they were specifically huge and a skinny puppy. Funny enough, how that oh. works. So I guess that oh. kind of ex- partially explains my fascination with this album. um, but yeah, you so you try to bring it you try to get some of that sound on the drums. They came up with this whole method of slap bass where you hit the bass with a drumstick, for example. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so that's how they get a specific sound on there. Yeah. And the vocals, like there are bits of the vocals that there's you say you like you say, like the vocalist is, and this is all the same person, by the way, the lead vocalist. Um, yep. he does like the Axl Rose type thing a lot of the time, but then you hear those moments where he goes lower, and that's Really, coming more from Tom Waits, um, oh, okay. is where mm-hmm. what they said as far as what they're going for, like in Zombies from Hell and Backdoor Romeo, you can hear this, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just, and again, all sorts again, it's just that's what really drew me into it is all these influences that you know you would not have expected from hair metal or from grunge, like it just occupies this own really unique space
1: well and hearing the like the Tom Waits and skinny puppy I'm like okay more of the more of those stuff that like is not a blatantly obvious influence but yeah hearing that I can go okay yeah that's that weirdness seeping in from that those influences definitely makes sense because you listen to like a song like I hung I hunger yes. which opens up and it almost sounds like a kiss song that huge kick drum mm-hmm. and then a guitar riff comes in but then they start messing with it with like there's these guitar sweeps and and weird noises happening and they could have taken it in a more traditional hair metal direction but don't they just keep messing with like this idea of this of the huge kick drum and um I could hear that coming as an influence from industrial from that that huge drum sound so that kind of makes sense to me
0: um yeah totally it's just the you know, uh, focus on the the focus on the drums for sure, and obviously pop music. You know where the vocal and the drums are just driving these songs, and the guitars are there and they're super cool and they're great riffs and sweeps and leads and stuff. But you just tell them in the studio or just in the process of honing these songs, get get the bass right, get the groove right, and get the vocal right.
1: So I there's a website that I've used in the past for research called heavyharmonies.com. I don't know if you've ever been there, Jay. It's no. billed as the hard rock and AOR reference on the internet. They list yes. 9,915 bands, 23,000 albums listed. And this is on here and it has a 83 out of 100 rating. But when you go down into the comments... It's basically split between, oh my gosh, this record's amazing, and this is the worst thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And it's usually the people who are way into like AOR are like, this isn't rock. Yeah, 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 like
0: it doesn't have the big soaring like AOR melodic vocal, right? So I can see a lot of those folks not being into it.
1: So like this, this comment and a lot of these comments are from like 20 years ago. So uh, like this comment was absolutely stunning. It's so unconventional and it's song structures and almost overpowering layered vocals. Yes. That what, that's what makes it work. It's very dark and sinister at times complete with completely twisted jazz and industrial influences. If Twin Peaks had a local glam band, this would be them. I, I <laughs> thought that was funny. And then um someone else wrote, uh, I'm trying to find, there was one that was really funny. One of the worst CDs I have after the second track, it's finished. It's trash. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty
0: consistent. If you like the first track, you're going to like pretty much the rest of
1: them. No. And another person, this CD is worth nothing. Doesn't sound similar to nothing. Only similar to shit. Zero out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a spinal tap review. (laughs) There's some in Italian that I can't read because this is apparently a foreign website. This album is not hard rock. If you're a hard rocker, don't buy it. I just, if you're a hard rocker, Mm. (laughs) man, you gotta be, this truly sucks. If someone would like a copy, please let me know. (laughs) Apparently giving away his, his CD copy, which by the way, now it's not easy to get this on CD. And there were vinyl pressings of this and they are like super expensive because it's never been reissued. Um, but I, some of the comments did bring up some interesting comparisons, like King's Axe, Extreme, mm-hmm. Saigon Kick. Mm-hmm. And I totally hear, because all those bands weren't interested in being pigeonholed. Yeah, you know, they, they wanted were all pushing. To, yes, exactly. And I can hear where this um, album would be, click with those people because i feel like the people who are into king's x saigon kick extreme weren't necessarily always into the, all the hair metal and might have been interested in stuff like you know faith no more and, and a little bit more edgier stuff mm-hmm. um and not the deaf leopard end of it you know if you're expecting pour some sugar on me you're gonna be very disappointed <laughs> listening to this record uh so jay is there anything that didn't work for you on this album
0: Well, it is like a, I would describe it as a sugary donut, like a glazed donut wrapped in crispy bacon. Like (laughs) it's amazing. Maybe one of them or half of one, but you don't want to eat them all the time. Uh, You know, it is very sugary. It's fun. There's a lot to take in. It's super punchy. It gets in and gets out, but it's also you know, it's a lot you know, vocally. Yeah, I could see for some folks, you really got to stick with it. I could see like his voice sometimes being a little polarizing or not everybody's cup of tea. But I think as I stuck with it and really got into some of the riffs that he does vocally and just the lines and like how it all worked together and especially really started to dig into the background vocals, it started to click a lot better. Um, but it can be a little rough. There's also some segments of songs where like, I have no idea what he's saying. Like with how fast he sings and like his voice being up in that super high pitch. I'm just like, I don't even know if those are words. They just <laughs> they just sound like vowels. Um, so there's a little vocal roughness, you know, edges there. It kind of adds to the charm. I think if it maybe it was a little more straightforward or, you know, not quite as edgy or rough, it maybe isn't, as uh, as compelling. Uh, there's a couple songs on here where I'm not gonna say they're like need to be cut from the album, but I think "Fire It Up" is a good example of it feels very like pedestrian, and the production is pretty much the same, but like the songwriting is just not quite as good as the other songs. The lyrics are like not that any of the lyrics on this record are like amazing life-changing but like that one in particular like ooh, that's some bad there's some bad cliches in there and then just melodically it's not quite
1: where the other ones are
0: and you can Mm kind of see like oh this this album could very well be you know 10
1: songs of that oh yeah and it wouldn't work it's like second rate bullet boys yeah
0: And uh, I think it's just it's worth noting that song. I think as people digging into this record, it's available on Spotify and YouTube and whatnot. Just kind of like pay attention to that one and imagine like, okay, why does this work? If it's working for you, like, why does it work? And maybe an alternate universe where it didn't work, it might all sound like fired up. <laughs> and then you can kind of see like the difference between like, oh, they're making... A little, you know, they're, they're pushing a little harder on some of the other songs. The melodies are working better. You know, the songs are tighter. You can kind of see where, you know, the rest of the work record, maybe why it's successful. Um, but yeah, I, other than that, you know, it, it's really just, it's something I can imagine, like wanting to pull this out every now and then, almost as like a, like a palate cleanser. Like I need something mm-hmm. different you know and just kind of having fun with it and then setting it aside and coming back to it you know a couple months later anything more for you
1: or what's an album from the 90s that i've never heard oh here you go
2: yeah <laughs> that's that's <laughs> right. when you pull it out
0: in a um, weird way though it also felt like what well, as i listened to it, i was like yeah this sounds like 92 but mm-hmm. like in that yes there this a lot of the production stuff they were doing was like that was the peak of all of those styles. And we were obviously making a break from that. So, But you could still hear like, okay, I could see how a band could make this in the 90s too. I, I could also see why it wouldn't be successful. But also I was like, well, this kind of also sounds like the late 90s, like Backstreet Boys production. And you know <laughs> what I mean? That whole like yeah. as pop reemerged production. And then I was like, but you know what? I could also hear like a band doing this style now. Like this melding of you know, extreme pop production and you know guitar playing and harmonies and everything. It just it it goes to such an extreme. I could almost hear a band doing this now. That would be like a new band. Um. So in an odd way, it, it also felt a little timeless. I'm like, this could have came out in the '80s. It could have came out in '92. It could have come out in 2000. It could come out now.
1: Um. Yeah, I could hear a band like ghost covering zombies right, from Hell." right right mm-hmm. yeah that that totally makes sense yeah you know i agree with you on on fire it up that's probably the weakest song on the record because it's pretty pedestrian compared to the, to the rest of the album um i don't always love it when he when he hits the high falsetto just because yes. it almost sounds cliched to say mm-hmm. it Um, and that's the one that like is the most egregious example of that so but I don't really it's so quick and it's such a diverse and interesting listen that I don't have a lot to complain about Um, it's it's sort of in this yeah and you mentioned about wanting to pull it out it's the same thing with like the life sex and death record where it's very specific and unique and If I'm not in the mood for it, it just doesn't work. But if I'm like, I want to hear something weird and different and throw that on, it absolutely slams. And I could see this being in that same ballpark, that it's got this weird energy to it. And it just clicks in a way that most things don't. But you're not going to want to play this on Sunday morning when you're reading the news (laughs) and having a cup of coffee sitting with your newspaper
0: and you know is that what this was a middle of the afternoon doldrums record to me it's like i need a i need a little shot of uh caffeine
1: yeah this is you don't need a cappuccino you need tea. Uh, right album um josh is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record
2: so honestly you covered a lot of what i was going to say because i was even specifically going to mention fire it up as the one like the most expendable track on the album um for sure um and the vocals yeah i also agree like him going for him trying to go for the higher notes doesn't work for me at times in particular and apparently uh they mentioned how he wasn't really confident in himself as a vocalist necessarily and like he had to you know smoke some cigarettes and you know get getting good and drunk to even you know <laughs> have the confidence to try and sing in the studio so it took some effort to to get him there to even try. So yeah, not not um, it's def. So yeah, definitely unpolished. And again, there are times where that works in its favor. And but sometimes where you know I do wonder, you know, if some of these songs would have been even better if they had you know someone who was better versed in those kind of I guess that they're those hair metal vocal tropes pulling those off what that they were going for, but. I mean, again, it's it's all like relatively minor quibbles I would have. I say
1: that's fair. Yeah, I don't have any major um, complaints about this, other than I didn't know it existed. Um, You definitely got to
0: give it a little time. Like if you just throw this on and sample a part of a song, you'd be like, "What the f?" Like you got to give it at least one listen. It's only the 35 minutes, you know, give it one full pass before you before you move on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you don't get it, you don't get it, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because this this is uh, not going to appeal to everybody. I mean, that's that's clear. (laughs) But I think there's probably a bigger audience out there than have discovered this record. Uh, what record label did it come out on? It came out on Hollywood Records, which I know the name has been, you know out there for a long time, but they kind of are all over the place in terms of who they have had on their label. Yeah. So I could yeah. definitely see this band getting lost because, you know, this is a label that has like Demi Lovato and Joe Jonas now and And they've very much had a pop uh, um roster. But then at some point, like Butthole Surfers were on the record label, and mm-hmm. and and you know other insane bands that was you would that not Queen, expect. Queen's label. Um. Yeah, you're right. That was Queen's label. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. There you go. Brian or-, or Brian Setzer Orchestra. <laughs> was was yeah, on this label. On Striper. Place. Sparta, like. There's no rhyme or reason, so how do you actually find an audience for such a, you know, specific record? I don't. It was probably DOA, to be honest. I mean, you're gonna get on Headbanger's Ball if you have a good, you know, um, video, but this is not gonna get into regular rotation on MTV, and that's gonna kill you in 1992. You needed to be on MTV, and you needed to be in radio, and just wasn't diverse enough at that point so that probably did not help its chances and then the band ended up um breaking up before finishing the second record eric eric josh i was looking at eric um valentine on the wikipedia page josh do you know anything about the second record did it ever get leaked or anything like that
2: yes um so i want to say it was jeff uh jeff tyson who kind of put spread some of that stuff around because you can find what they have of the second album, the unreleased second album online actually funny enough another area in which they're like life sex and death both have second albums that never came out they got leaked online um but yeah it seems like it was jeff who did that because like people mention talking to him about the band and like he gave them unreleased tracks and stuff and so that's kind of where it came from i think so he
1: ended up, that guy ended up touring as, as the touring guitarist for Filter, Monster Magnet, Queens of the Stone Age, and A Perfect Circle. Mm. Um, he's also played with Ugly Kid Joe, White Zombie. Um, he is credited along with some other guitarists for some work on the Guitar Hero soundtrack or Guitar Hero games, hmm. which makes sense. I mean, you, get, yeah. you probably would bring in some expert guitarists to lay down that stuff. Um, and he lives currently in Prague in Czechoslovakia and, uh, he has a, he has a band, the Jeff Tyson band and they play in Europe, which is, that totally makes sense for, Hmm. for a guy like this, probably going to have a very minor career here other than, you know, being a touring guitarist, whereas he can probably still play gigs and do festivals and that kind of stuff over in Europe um and that was again that's the guy who was like under the tutelage of joe satriani so i'm sure i know that the guitar nerds all nerd out about everybody in the satriani tree or the steve Vai tree and they all you know go and see those guys so i wouldn't be surprised he's got a pretty healthy career because of that um well let's get into our overall ratings on this record we'll share the results of the poll from patreon but let's give our ratings for this jay is it a worthy album a better ep or a decent single
0: i'm gonna give it a worthy album i think it's a fun little 35 minutes of just uh creativity and just i mean it's pushing all of these genres to sort of their maximum limit in some ways too which is fun to hear uh, it's unique. Even you know, even in doing that, you can sort of hear all the things they're borrowing, but because they're putting together it in a particular way, it doesn't really sound like anybody else—not in a strange way. Even though, like, if you isolated the individual pieces, you'd be like, "Oh, this sounds like this, and this sounds like that." But like together, it's unique. Uh, so, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm looking forward to in the for- you know in the future popping this out again and. Just, uh, you know, having a little glazed donut with some ra- with some crispy bacon around it.
1: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. It's a worthy album. It is unlike most of what you're going to hear from the early part of the decade. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, just shows how diverse that time period was. And I like when we get these little weird one-off records that are totally out of the blue and you know, there's, all you have is this one document of this one band that existed. And it's really interesting. It's really all over the place. If you're into AOR rock, you're not going to enjoy this, but if you're into, you know, a little bit weirder and something that kind of defies catariz- catar- catarization, 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 <laughs> I swear to God, I, I did not drink catarization? Yeah, (laughs) if if you need a catheter, this is the album. I don't know. That's not it. That's the. There's no genre for this. I mean, it's rock, but how do you subgenre this? Uh, Is it hard rock? Maybe. Is it is it funk rock? There's I mean, there's there's a funky aspect to some of this. It's like it doesn't it doesn't really fit into one little neat box, which kind of makes it all the more interesting so where the album for me josh lastly you
2: well i'm sure this won't come as any shock to you but definitely a worthy album for me as well like i said i mean if you have like this high of a hit rate as far as you know songs i would not even consider skipping on this thing plus just you know how brisk of a listen it is which seems to be a theme with the ones i pick for you like i seem to pick like i guess shorter ones compared to a lot of what you get on this show (laughs) which I didn't even set out to do that, but I guess it's a nice little bonus, but yeah, just a nice, you know, when you, when you're in the mood for it, it's just a nice, easy listen. And, you know, even, even the relative down parts, you know, even they go down, go down quickly. So yeah, easy, just, yeah, absolutely worth the album for sure.
0: Yeah. When a record is, I just can't emphasize it enough. I know we're talking about this a lot, but this is a good example of like, if you keep a record short, the odds of it being enjoyable seem to greatly increase. Like mm-hmm. Add another 5, 10, 15. I mean, it's very, you know, this was 92. It could have been very likely this record could stretch to an hour, you know, and still have been released. And it I think our attitudes would much. have been totally different. Yep. You know, another 25 minutes of this, I would be exhausted. <laughs> I would I need to eat a salad and take a nap.
1: Yeah, it's a lot to digest and it's the right amount to digest because any more would have been overwhelming. Um, And our patrons, for the most part, agreed with us. 67% went with Worthy Album and Better EP and Decent Single tied at 17%, which again, when you do the math, that's 101%. So the it should be sixteen point five and sixteen point five, not seventeen. But what are we gonna do, uh, Patreon, to fix that? I don't know. Maybe someday they'll get a point a point system in there that, or a percentage system that includes decimals, because this this lack of adding up to hundred is really <laughs> bothering me. It's uh,
0: it's really, it's really, uh, driving me crazy.
1: It's getting under my under my skin you're gonna die on that mountain i am <laughs> josh i say this every year to you but thank you for bringing this interesting record to us uh you you have the i think in terms of stuff that we never heard before other than <laughs> faith no more i think you have the highest percentage uh because i had not listened to any of the stuff and i was only passing from fami- passingly familiar with faith no more i had not like really deep dive on any of their records so greatly appreciate you introducing us to this uh to this album and and being a part of the community
2: yeah well um i definitely uh appreciate uh, you guys definitely bringing me on every year and uh hearing you say that uh that's kind of a high honor for me because that's uh that's kind of what i was hoping to achieve to you know take you out of your comfort zone and bring you to some new places with all this that's what i'm looking for with these picks. So. Glad to see everything is going according to plan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like that you have a plan. That's excellent. Uh, if you would like to be like Josh and plan for how you're going to invade our brains with your picks, you can join us over at Patreon by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's where folks are patrons. Our union members, they vote on the polls like this one. They vote on the polls for our monthly tournaments, and get our free—or not free, but our exclusive aughts uh, episodes, which come out uh, six times a year. Previously, it was eighties episodes. Now it's the aughts. Got a couple coming up soon. And there's polls for those. There's polls, polls for when we occasionally get to do a roundtable. There's been I have we haven't done one in a while because it's just been swamped with so many picks. But we'll be doing a roundtable hopefully again soon. And you go to, you know, Patreon to make that happen. It's also where you can go to read the Box newsletter, which comes out every week. It is a release calendar of new releases of 80s, 90s and aughts, music, movies, TV shows, documentaries, books, etc. Two reviews, one minute reviews of... Uh, you know, usually music, but occasionally we, there's a documentary or TV show that's covered. Books take too long and uh, it, Jay and I both read slow, so it's not going to yes. happen. It's, I think I've done one book review for the for that <laughs> and that was like three years ago or two years ago and that probably took me a year to get through the book. Uh, but the Box Newsletter, you can read it at Patreon. If you want to suggest an album like I mentioned at the top of the show digmeoutpodcast.com is where you go. It's also where you can sign up for the box newsletter. And lastly, Apple podcasts is where you go to leave some positive feedback for this show for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.